G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Often when we set out on our journey through life, we're shaped by optimistic ideas about two things we are wired for, marriage and parenthood. But in reality, for some, marriage to Mr. or Miss Wright doesn't happen in the fairy tale sense and neither do children. Our special guest today has just released a new book for Christians who've been unable to have children for a wide variety of reasons and who are looking for encouragement and healing. The book is called Surviving Childlessness, exploring stories of 13 childless people from around the world and even how childless people may sometimes feel uncomfortable or be excluded from church and society because of their childlessness. And of course, the author has her own story to tell. Steph Penny has released her second book in the Survival Series. It's called Surviving Childlessness, Faith and Fur Babies. This book is for Christians who've been unable to have children for a wide variety of reasons and looking for encouragement and healing. Steph, I want to say a special welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. Timing is great. Steph, you launched your book just on the weekend. How did it all go? It went very well. Thank you, Neil. I was so nervous about it because it was an online launch and I thought, I hope my very limited technical skills um, are able to <laughs> uh, cope with any issues that arise. But it did go very well. And we had a lot of people um, commenting on our online video and even sharing their stories of childlessness, which was great to hear. And I do note that you say, and this is your second book, but you say writing a book's like birthing a baby. So it is possible to give birth <laughs> even if you are childless. <laughs> exactly. There are ways of um, of birthing or of being a parent without actually being a parent. <laughs> you know, there's lots of things, no doubt, that shaped your thinking when you were doing your research and you were preparing to get this book to fruition. Uh, but you do have your own story to tell, Steph. I wonder whether we might start just talking about your own story. Yeah, absolutely. My story kind of started before I even realised that it was starting, um, even before I got married. So I was engaged to obviously my fiancé and it surprised me how many people and how many Christians, how many Christian friends in our church came up to us and said, so when are you going to have kids? Now, we weren't even married at that point, but it seemed like there were a lot of self-appointed family planners kind of um, weighing in on that um, on that issue. I even had a pastor tell me um, that if I didn't have kids, I would be in sin. Um, very upsetting, obviously, to hear that. So my kind of my story sort of started there with some some not so great experiences around other people's expectations or assumptions about me becoming an instant baby making machine. 
Um, but once I was married, I encountered some health issues, which then um, were going to make it very difficult, if if not impossible, for us to have children. Interesting, isn't it, when you are in church and you are either single or you're perhaps newly wed and you mm. don't have children yet, it's almost as though, because I don't know whether people always have an intent to be hurtful, but the idea of those small talk question, a uh, question that sort of says, uh, oh, when are you starting a family? Well, some people are more sensitive to that than others. Uh, but obviously, newlyweds and singles are very sensitive, mm-hmm. often much more sensitive than we all might think, Steph. What are your thoughts about just how sensitive people can be around those questions? Look, I think you're right. I think there is a a mainstream kind of societal expectation that, you know, there's a trajectory. You get married and then you have kids. Like it's it's expected, it's the norm, um, even inevitable. And if I think back on my own life and my own childhood, there were certainly some reinforcing ideas around, you know, one day you'll be having a baby, one day you'll be doing this or that. Um, So certainly I think that it is mainstream. And then because it's mainstream, people don't necessarily think through those questions that they're asking, but they can be incredibly sensitive. If you think about the myriad of reasons why people might be childless, you know, there might be some highly personal reasons behind that, and they might not be suitable for, um, you know, superficial conversation in passing. (laughs) I guess if it's any consolation, uh, because uh, I'm married and we have had four children and Mm. uh, the interesting thing is it doesn't just happen when you've got uh, no children because when you've got one people will always use the small talk question to ask when you're having your next and then when you've got two they say when are you having another one and then when are you having another one so (laughs) it never really finishes it just I mean I think we're just talking about the idea that you do need to be sensitive when you in fact ask those small talk questions about having children because uh, because yes it can be either tiresome or offensive or uh, it can trigger something in some people who are super sensitive and I do note mm-hmm. Steph that you were you work as a psychi- uh, psychologist as well and uh, helping people through all sorts of issues around their feelings and mental health so uh, do you bring your own professional uh, insight into some of these things that you're discussing in your book? Absolutely. Um, I think it's it's really hard to separate professional and personal because you're always going to have transferable skills or knowledge that cross over. So I do bring some of my, um, I guess, my working experience to bear in the book, you know, absolutely not sharing any confidential information, but more from the perspective of talking about grief um, and trauma and I guess the mental health impact of being childless as well as the impact on our faith. It can be um, a huge thing for a lot of Christians. I suspect uh, that lots of us don't think of the challenges that you have when you are childless as being related to grief and trauma. Uh, but these, this does take that a whole step deeper, doesn't it? So, so when you talk about grief and even trauma in uh, the idea that you may be trying, uh, but you just are not succeeding in having your children, uh, what are your thoughts here for just how damaging and how hurtful and uh, challenging it can be when people are going through this? Yeah, look, um, in writing this book, I, I did a lot of research and I interviewed, as you know, um, 
13 people, or well, 14, one of them was a, a couple, um, about their experiences of childlessness. And, you know, there was this recurring theme in many of those stories that people felt um, like that having children had become all-consuming. You know, it was all they could think about or talk about and um, the myriad of doctor's appointments and tests and scans and pregnancy tests and waiting for results. Um, it was a roller coaster for many people. Um, and that's before we even talk about, you know, IVF or um, injecting hormones into yourself or um, any of those sorts of processes. And I can only imagine what that's like. I've not done that myself. Um, but for sure, that experience of waiting each month to see if you've been successful and then finding out that yet again you haven't and then you start all over again the next month um, really takes a toll on many people and a lot of the people I interviewed described this kind of this cumulative exhaustion from that effect. And I guess the idea of uh, I might be failing or the idea of feeling like a failure or mm. feeling as though you are inadequate and uh, the sorts of comments you might get uh, around the family dinner table, you know, uh, he's shooting blanks or uh, all sorts of other things that, you know, just uh, being honest, the sorts of things that people might say, uh, this sort of failure and inadequacy, uh, th that's challenging, isn't it? Oh, totally. And I've, I encountered some of that in my interviews. Um, and I'd actually unpack it a little bit in the book because I think this sense of self-identity is really important and it is attached to our ideas around masculinity and femininity. So you, know, you talk about shooting blanks and so forth. Um, it's, it's a fairly common thing that a lot of men see themselves as, you know, if I can kind of produce sperm and produce a baby, you know, then I'm a real man, you know, that kind of being a father is, is what real manhood is all about. And of course, women are not exempt from this. So women have their own ideas of, you know, women are supposed to be able to, to bring new life into the world. They're supposed to be able to nurture that life and care for it and protect it, um, not have bodies that kind of turn around and kill them before the time has come. So miscarriage is really difficult in that respect as well. And Steph, we're going to unpack a bunch of things, but let me bring you to, well, you know, one of the ideas around solutions here. You say that there are other things that you can birth other than babies. And, and uh, I guess sometimes we don't think of those things as being of equal importance, but uh, the idea of, you know, we talk about people who go and plant churches, birthing a new church or a ministry, and uh, you like to bring into there all sorts of things, uh, the birth of a painting or a piece of art, and you yourself, you're a musician. There's a, there's a certain birthing process uh, that you can, you know, you don't have to just think about babies and uh, perhaps some of these feelings of inadequacy or even sense of failure might be met with other ways that you can birth things. What are your thoughts uh, for the idea that uh, giving birth to a child might not be the end of the world for most people? Uh, yeah, totally, Neil. I take your point and I, I've spent uh, an entire chapter of the book, um, the chapter's called Sanity, and it's all about ideas for... Um, not necessarily accepting your childlessness, but of finding a new way of um, reinventing yourself or leaving a legacy. And I think that idea of legacy is really important when we talk about alternate ways of birthing a baby or birthing a baby that is not a biological human being. Um, 
what I think about is, well, how do we want to make our mark on this world? What do we want to be um, remembered as or what do we want to leave behind that's going to outlive us, that's going to last long before our lives um, or, sorry, long after, <laughs> long after our yeah. lives have ended. Certainly um, a book is a massive baby. That was a five-year pregnancy um, for me, writing Surviving <laughs> Childlessness. It's, yep. It was quite painful at times, as labour can be. Um, not that I want to take away from anyone who's ever done labour because I've heard all the stories about it. Mm -hmm. um, but totally, being able to produce a work of art um, like a song or to write a blog, um, to to produce a painting, as you mentioned, and also um, kind of birthing new endeavours. And you touched on maybe a church plant, and I think birthing any new church ministry or initiative can be akin to birthing a baby. Um, I've got friends who've also birthed new business ideas or business ventures, and I think that can be very much like birthing a baby as well. And I think it's really crucial that we find something, um, something that we're passionate about, something that is very us, that we can um, be giving of ourselves to. We can give, we can still give to this world. We can give back to our community, even if we don't have our own children. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Steph Penny. Steph has released her second book in the Survival series and it's called Surviving Childlessness, Faith and Fur Babies. It's a book for Christians who've been unable to have children for a wide variety of reasons and who are looking for encouragement and healing. Well, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. You can respond to our Facebook question today. What encouragement would you give to a childless couple in church? Steph, let's take a call or two and and uh, invite listeners to uh, to respond to that Facebook question. But let's hear from Penny in Jeeveston in Tasmania. Hello, Penny. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Hello, Steph. How are you? Very well, Penny. Good, you, thanks, Penny. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that, yes, we are a childless couple and we've been married for this year, uh, 29 years. Yay. And um, so we've um, endured a lot of heartache and um, a lot of really insensitive questions. I was constantly asked, when are you going to have children? Can you have children? Um, which I never understood. The, when am I going to and can you? <laughs> um, was rather confusing. But look, I'm, I'm a survivor. And I do have my fur baby. Two, two of them. One noisy, one... Um, one quiet and <laughs> and a and a birdie as well, a parrot. Mm. He's mm. he's gorgeous, and um, um, I'm happy with them, and Ray's very happy with those. They are great for him. Um, uh, Penny, good but, thoughts but there. I Let's get a children. Let's get a thought or two from uh, Steph. Steph, what are your thoughts for Penny as you're hearing her tell her story? 
Well, first of all, Penny, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing. Um, and I feel that in my chest what you're saying about the insensitive comments and a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. I, I really do feel that. And I also resonate with what you're saying about the fur babies because I have my own little cat um, who's my little fur baby. And look, it really does help a lot, doesn't it, to have those affectionate animals around. Um, quite a few of my interviewees in the book said that they had fur babies, which they're not necessarily the same as having a child, although my cat follows me to the toilet. I don't know why she does this, um, but sometimes it can just help a little bit. It can help to fill that void that might be left by childlessness, or it can take the edge off some of that pain. So thank you so much for sharing. Penny, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Belinda is in Kendama in Victoria. Hello, Belinda. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Hi. Yes, I just wanted to add a little comment just for listeners because um, it is a really hard thing to go through. Um, fortunately, the doctors were, be were able to sort me out <laughs> and I got my three kitties, but it's just, something you never forget going through and um, just you know like um, you were saying that some people feel like their bodies have failed I didn't actually feel that way I felt like my dream had died mm. you know there might be expectations to have children but some people it's actually all they want they don't want a career they just want you know a child and for someone who never gets that that is just devastating um, and to have to switch it out for another dream can be really tricky for them and um, Australia is not very adoption friendly. It's really, really hard here to adopt. So for people who want to go that way instead, you know, it doesn't, it's not even a possibility often in Australia. We're very um, anti-adoption in Australia. Not the people, mm. the, the government. It's not like America mm. where you can just adopt. So mm. I just thought it'd be um, really good if listeners, if, you know, that sometimes it's not that someone's not trying or that they don't want these things, they might, yeah, it, it can be really, really, really hard. Belinda, <laughs> good thoughts. Uh, Steph, your thoughts for Belinda? Totally, Belinda. Um, I, I know that in, a, um, in Australia that adoption rates are really low and I don't think it's because there's a lack of children waiting for adoption, um, but it, it is really, really hard and some people, you know, even if they're approved by adoption agencies and there's a lot of hoops to jump through, um, you can still be waiting for years and never receive a child. And I've spoken to people who've had that very experience. So, look, it is really hard um, when people sometimes say, why don't you just adopt? Um, they often haven't tried to adopt and don't know how hard it is and exactly what's involved in the process. So my book does attempt to explain that a little bit and provide a bit of information. So hopefully people can be more in the know. Um, and Belinda, I also want to acknowledge what you said about um, for some people having children was their only dream. It was their whole dream. It's all they ever wanted to do. And it can be really hard to just, you know, find a new dream. Um, I don't think it's that simple. I think often when you're grieving, you go through this process of kind of your whole life just turns into one big pile of um, one big pile of, of goop. <laughs> and it's really hard to to see anything coming out of that. So it's definitely, it's a long journey, I think, to grieve and to find something alternative worth living for. But I guess one of the messages of my book is that there is hope, um, that there are ways to do that. 
Belinda, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, let's keep taking another another call. Jenny is in Dunkeld in Victoria. Hi, Jenny. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Um, Yeah, my comment is about my daughter. Um, She and her husband have been married for 11 years um, soon, and kids haven't happened for them. Um, They've had, you know, all the usual investigations but haven't chosen to go down the IVF path for various reasons. And um, But they live a very fulfilled life and uh, her comment is that it hasn't defined her. And um, just recently um, they've taken, uh, just gone to uh, Port Moresby and they've established a, a new YWAM base there. And uh, just talking to her the other day, it was just like, you know, that, that whole project and the beautiful people that she's working with and seeing them grow and the, the hunger for God is, um, has just fulfilled that sort of spot. And she was talking them to, about them like they were, as she even said, they're like my kids. And um, so it really resounds with me, you know, with that insight um, that you were sharing. Wonderful, Jenny. A uh, thought or two, uh, Steph? Jenny, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That that sounds very much like they've birthed, birthed a baby um, or lots of babies <laughs> um, and that that's, um, that's like a new dream for them um, that's coming to pass. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I know what you mean when they said, you know, they didn't want this to define them because um, some of my interviewers said the same thing. In fact, I'm thinking about Rosemary's story in my book and one of the things she said to me about how she survived was I didn't want those years of IVF, I didn't want those years of, of childlessness and trying and feeling like a failure to be my whole identity. I did not want them to define me. So I think that shows extraordinary strength and courage to, to take that stance in one's life. So thank you. Jenny, thanks so much for your call. Let's squeeze in one more just before news. Uh, Melissa is in Victoria. Hi, Melissa. Hi, how are you? Good, Melissa. Need to be quick with uh, with uh, your thoughts, but uh, what have you got to share with us? Yeah, just very quickly, I just wanted to have an encouragement for people that uh, I have a mother that has been wanting to have a child with my, my father for 30 odd years, and unfortunately it never happened, but... In saying that, I just want to be encouraged for people that may be going through that situation. But my mum's always said to me that you should always have faith that God has got it. Um, knowing that sometimes when she had had those ups and downs and miscarriages and everything else, she always said to me, if it never happened for her, that she would always love Jesus. She would always have her faith in Christ and that she would know that it was just God that had her in the palm of the hand. So for anyone who might be going through an up and down, just be aware and know that God's there in your situation and that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he's always there. So just a bit of a encouragement for people that have gone through that, just to say, hey, Jesus will never leave you. Melissa, wonderful and a very quick thought from Steph. God's got it. Yeah, very quick. Oh, look, that's wonderful. Melissa, thank you so much. And I do hope that encourages people that um, God can be trusted even if he hasn't seemed to hear prayers or hasn't answered prayers or might have even led you up the garden path, that God is actually still there and he cares. Thank you. And before we take any more calls, uh, Steph, just let's touch on the issues around church 
And the idea that, uh, you know, faith and childlessness in church, uh, that sometimes has a bad experience for some. Uh, you've focused on this in your book. Uh, let's, uh, let's just uh, zero in on some of these things for a few moments. Sure, Neil. Thank you. It's um, it's something that I've had a range of experiences with in church. I've had um, what I what I'd call the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so I've had some really great experiences where people have been very sensitive, um, towards the fact that I've um, I, I am childless, and they've been very inclusive towards me. But I've also had some other experiences where you know, on Mother's Day, for example, mums get singled out and get showered with praise and then kind of, oh, yeah, by the way, thanks spiritual mums as well in the congregation. Um, whereas I think spiritual parenting is a high honour in God's kingdom. And, in fact, I'm interested to see when I get to heaven how many spiritual kids I've actually got. Um, so I think often our churches can can kind of be more aware of the childless people in their congregations and more intentional about including them. Interesting and be good to unpack this some more, this idea of spiritual children because you suggest that churches don't often give much attention to that idea at all, but actually it's quite a, a biblical foundation for that, isn't it? Indeed, and if we think about eternity and our spiritual family, and I know this term gets bandied about a bit, but um, I'm thinking about our eternal family that we're going to spend eternity with. The families we have on earth only last during this lifetime, and then in heaven we're all one big family. So, um, gee, that sounds like a cliche, doesn't it? <laughs> I really try and avoid cliches, but there you go. Um, but I guess my, my thinking there is often we place so much emphasis on those who are parents in this lifetime, whereas this is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And if I think about all the people I've spiritually parented over the years, and you know, by parenting I don't mean that I'm heaps older than other people I help, but anyone that I've mentored in the faith, anyone that I've encouraged to grow, anyone that I've prayed for, the people I've discipled, um, maybe people in because I'm involved in my church's worship ministry, people that I've trained up um, and mentored in worship ministry as well, I, I think... Um, for lack of a definition of spiritual parenting, I think all those things could be included under that broad umbrella of spiritual parenting. So I often find myself when people, you know, spend a lot of time honouring mothers and fathers, which is not wrong, you know, absolutely, parenting I know is a difficult job. Everyone tells me that it is. Um, and it's right that we honour people for the work that they do. At the same time, I am curious about when we get to heaven, what are our spiritual children and our spiritual families going to look like. We might come back to that, but let's take a call. Adam is in Warhope in New South Wales. Hello, Adam. Welcome along. Oh, good morning, Steph and Neil. Um, no, I've, I've ticked all the last 16 years. I've ticked all those uh, three boxes that sort of churches put you in. I've, we had uh, with my ex-wife, so I'm divorced, was divorced, uh, had a miscarriage of so hopefully a 14 and 16 year old awaiting for us in heaven. And, uh, and also I've had been very ill for 16 years and haven't been able to work to a great degree like I used to be in my young successful years. Just quickly before we go on from that, um, I mean, I have got a five-month-old baby. I have been married for just over a year now. So I'm out of two of those boxes, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but there was great hardships going through, um, going through uh, the few churches that we did attend to. And uh, I just don't understand why we have to be put in the box, the starters, um, because the Bible's full of difficulties. 
everyone right from Sarah and Abraham, she had to wait 90 years for a baby. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't see where this, uh, oh, yes, I want this and you're going to get this sort of thing just comes and God gives it to you. Um, it's, it's not in the Bible. It's, it, it, he does give us from time to time these wonderful things when we're patient and, and have faith with him. Um, but uh, I just don't know where the church has got this idea that all these things are going to be rosy and you're going to have this, that and that. And, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's my sort of thoughts on it. Good thoughts, Adam. Uh, your special thoughts for Adam, Steph? Adam, I totally agree. <laughs> I think that's a really great point that we do kind of have a bit of a, um, let me see, how did one of my interviewees put this, um, like a culture in church of maybe rainbows and puppy dogs, kind of you know, positive thinking, positive psychology in church. Um, and you're totally right. A lot of times life doesn't come together the way we want it to or the way we dreamed and planned for it to. Um, and you're totally right in pointing out examples in the Bible where things really didn't go according to plan. And sometimes God was kind, sometimes God intervenes, but he doesn't always intervene. And that's sometimes a really hard reality for us to face, um, especially when we have hoped and prayed for a very long time for a, a particular dream and it seems that God um, doesn't listen or doesn't hear or doesn't care maybe it can be very difficult to navigate that but thank you so much adam i'm in agreement with you adam thanks so much for your call our talkback line open 1-800-316-316 you can respond to today's facebook question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio hey when we're talking about church uh, not everything is rosy in church sometimes it's easy to look over our shoulder and Everybody's dressed up nicely and looking like they've got it all together, but everyone's got their own challenges. Not all is rosy, but when you are in church, you are in a place where you can at least discover that healing and meaning and purpose in your circumstances. And Steph, your thoughts here, because you could be childless in church and go through some struggles, or you could be childless outside of church and have no support at all or no potential for understanding and meaning and uh, and and uh, and healing. What are your thoughts for the idea that the church might be tough, but it may be even tougher in some other circumstances? Look, I totally agree that support is really crucial um, during childlessness. Um, and that's whether that's during a time of trying to conceive or during a grieving period. We absolutely need that support, don't we? We need to know that we're not alone um, and we're not the only ones going through this or we don't have to be alone. Unfortunately, for a lot of people I spoke to um, in the process of writing my book, um, they'd actually found that their church um, unfortunately wasn't that source of support for them and that they felt excluded and kind of passed over um, by their church. And so for a few people, they ended up not going to church for a prolonged period of time and they were able to find support elsewhere, which is great. But I think it's also telling that some people feel that it's so difficult in church that they're better off mentally and spiritually not going. I think that's pretty telling. Let's talk practical uh, ways that you might have a strategy here. And so if uh, someone says, well, uh, you might be talking about my church, uh, what should I do to become more inclusive, more intentional? What are your thoughts for uh, what a church might do to include people who, who might be childless? 
I have so many thoughts on that, Neil. <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> Not long. Um, we um, look. There's a lot that I could touch on there, and I and I do try to cover that ground in my book as well. I've got lots of suggestions, and also you know examples of don't do it this way, please, guys. Um, so I, I guess in terms of what the church can do, I think the main thing is just really being mindful of the fact that you do have childless people in your congregation and that when you're thinking about programs, when you're planning sermon series, when you're putting things together, even song selection, um, think about you know not just the families and the parents in your church but also those who are childless. Can they connect to this? Do they resonate with this as well? A lot of times it can be done really simply. So um, I've got a really great example of when a church did it well. So they were talking, there was a sermon series about um, kind of, you know, hardship and suffering and, and getting through difficult times. And the preacher talked about how as a parent you can face a lot of challenges and how to turn to God in the midst of those challenges, and which is totally right and valid, right? Parents face a lot of challenges. And then they also turned around and said, you might also face challenges if you are childless or if you are single. And I went, wow, <laughs> this sermon isn't just for parents. This is so great. And you know what? As I listened to that sermon, I felt seen and I felt acknowledged and I felt included. And the preacher moved on to talk about other things, right? It was just a, a mention in passing, but just being acknowledged from the front right, from the leadership of the church that, hey, we have single people in the church, we have childless people in the church. And, you know, some childless people are childless by singledom. That's a really big group of people. So to be acknowledged in that way, I think it's really crucial. And the other thing is, um, you know, when you think about, you know, Sunday school and youth programs and all that stuff, all of which is totally proper and valid, which churches should be running, how can the church also run things that include childless people. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I've never run a church, so and I think it's a, a tough gig, right? It's This is a tough job. But can we also think about if we've got parenting programs or mother's groups or dad talks, do we also have something that childless people can access just as easily because they're just as valid members of the congregation and it's important that we see um, see that they are there and that they know that they're valued and valuable. They have something to contribute, even if they're not parents. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Carol in New South Wales. Hi, Carol. Welcome. Thank you so much for your welcome, and God bless you both, and thank you for this great um, subject and topic. Um uh, just uh, quickly, I uh, married my husband when he was disabled. I was engaged to him when he was well. And I wanted six children, and I chose to have none because it took uh, was a 24-hour job when I married him, knowing what was uh, that uh, unless God healed him, he would never be well. And he died in my arms six years later, and I dedicated myself to God and him and then did mission work overseas. But what I say to people when uh, they ask you those normal questions, and I just uh, disarm them straight away by saying, oh, my husband died some years ago. I planned to have six children, but he was disabled. And then I say that. But also the scripture says... 
uh, about single. Well, I've been single for 32 years now, I'm 71, and the Bible says that she that has no husband has more children than she that has a husband. I go out in the community and bring many to the Lord and speak to a lot of young people who are suicidal, some of them I mentor for six years. And so I find that, yes, in the modern church today, um, there's a lot of younger people who have got position and uh, they can treat some people in my age group uh, dishonorably. So you don't always get the support there, but God always gives you support. And the thing is that God planned our life. He knew from the beginning that I wouldn't have the children, and that's where I find my comfort. I say, God, you know and you planned me in my mother's womb, and you knew from the go-get before even the foundation of the world I was in your thoughts, and you knew I wouldn't have children. So I'll dedicate my time and life to being with children I can help and be a joyful widow of many spiritual children. <laughs> Carol, I suspect uh, what you've just shared is uh, is treasure. Uh, Steph, your thoughts for Carol? Treasure, what a great word, Carol. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I totally agree that um, those who... Um, oh, that scripture you quoted. Now, would you think I could remember it? No, but um, <laughs> having blessed those. That, yes, I know. I was sharing before when you were speaking, and I thought, God, I got to get out of this and quote this scripture. <laughs> she that has not a husband, I think it's in Isaiah. She that has not a husband has more children than she that has a husband. Yeah, and I think that underlines the whole idea of spiritual parenting, guys, that it's not a consolation prize for the childless. It's not an afterthought. It's kind of the whole thing. You know, our spiritual parenting lasts forever. And it just warms my heart, Carol, to hear about how you've you've been going out on the streets and talking to people who are suicidal and helping them out and just making yourself so open and available to God with everything that you've been through. Um, I think it's just incredible. And what a testimony, you know, to God's faithfulness. Carol, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation. Steph, uh, people can be hurt uh, when all sorts of things are said or not said uh, when you are childless in church. Uh, You've even approached uh, some issues in your book around how our faith can be hurt uh, when uh, when things don't seem to have gone the way we thought they would before God. What are your thoughts here for people who might even be sort of blaming God for their childlessness? I mean, what a wonderful story we just heard. But uh, but for some who mm. might be sort of, you know, in that, in that position where they're saying, well, I'm never going to be, you know, an effective Christian because, you know, God hasn't given to me the family that I so desperately wanted. Mm-mm. I think it's a really tricky area because... Um, there's this weird thing in Christianity. I, I don't know if anyone else has found this, but I've found that if I ever express doubts or fears about my faith, uh, other people can be pretty quick to hush me up. Um, you know, don't don't express doubt. You know, God's always faithful and you have to trust him no matter what and, and never, never doubt um, because if you doubt, you look like a bad Christian. And then what will people think? Um, which is like a kind of spiritual paranoia. It sounds really strange when I say it out loud, but 
there's this idea sometimes in our churches that we always have to be faith-filled, we always have to be strong, and we always have to trust God even when we feel a bit kind of confused in our faith or a bit hurt or a bit unsure about what the heck God is up to at the moment. And often people in childlessness have experienced that with God where they've prayed really hard and really fervently for a really long time and it seems that God has just gone, no, you're not having kids, no. But they see people all around them getting pregnant. They see abusive parents getting pregnant and mistreating their kids and taking them for granted. They see people on the pill getting pregnant But somehow their dream, their prayer for children, apparently, seemingly, goes unanswered. And what I saw in in writing my book, Neil, and this is where um, there were a few stories um, from my interviewees that really touched me, was where they received prophecies for children that didn't come true. So some of my interviewees received very specific prophecies. Some of them received um, child names, baby names that they were to use for their children. Other people received specific time frames or a certain number of IVF attempts within which children would arrive. And these people trusted God completely to fulfill that prophecy and then it didn't happen. So in that sense, yes, we're dealing with people who feel maybe they don't want to be angry at God, maybe they don't want to blame him, but they're left kind of in a quandary, floundering in faith and going, does this mean that I got it wrong? Does it mean I can't hear from God? Does it mean God said the wrong thing? Does it mean God changed his mind? Does it mean God has stopped caring about me? And, and I don't think God has stopped caring, but what if he has? I, I don't know. I don't know what to think. Wow. Uh, When you tackle these sorts of things in your book, and uh, you probably have a whole bunch of these, and one of those, an interesting one to touch on, as you just have, uh, when people are uh, delivering a prophecy, and sometimes uh, you might call this a car park prophecy, uh, from people who might be a little less mature in the way that they might approach uh, issues around a prophetic word, but you like to tackle uh, an issue, I think, in your book where you say, you know, it's what not to say. And so if you were <laughs> taking steps forward uh, in your own approach to others who are single in church life, um, what do you say are the, the main things what not to say? And uh, that might be one of them, of course, uh, you know, uh, careful as you uh, bring a prophecy because uh, there can be very hurtful things that could come from that. But what uh, what other things what not to say, Steph? Mm. Look, and in terms of prophecy, I, I just want to say that I don't have all the answers and that it's a mystery. And I've seen prophecies come true for some people and I've seen other prophecies not come true. So I think all of us need to exercise a lot of wisdom and possibly some caution around prophecy. But I think some of the things not to say um, include any kind of false hope. So I think we like to give false hope and I'm a big culprit of this. So I kind of sometimes preach to myself about this, but often we like to give false hope that someone's situation is going to get better. You know, we like to encourage people. I like encouraging people. It makes me feel good. It makes them feel good. I like cheering people up. But sometimes what we do in that process is we we promise something that we can't give or we, we can't keep. So saying things like, oh, you know, if you want children that much, I'm sure God will give you children. Yet surely God will not deny you your heart's desire. Sometimes he does because he's more interested in, and this is a truth I've had to swallow, God's more interested in our 
spiritual maturity and in our holiness and in us becoming more like Christ than he is in sometimes answering our prayers, even the most heartfelt prayers. And sometimes the scariest prayer I can pray is, God, not my will, but your Are you still with us, Steph? I uh, feel like you just dropped out there for a moment and um, you might be trying to get things back on track if we have lost you, which would be uh, a little bit of a challenge. uh, But uh, let me give to listeners uh, the way that they can get a hold of your book. Now, your book is called Surviving Childlessness, Faith and Fur Babies, and I suspect there will be a lot of listeners who might like to get their hands on it because they can hear just how deep and how wonderfully you are able to approach these issues. Uh, so let me point people to the Steph Penny website where you could get a hold of Steph's new book, stephpenny.com.au. That's S-T-E-P-H. Penny.com.au, stephpenny.com.au. This is the second book in Steph's series on survival. Surviving Childlessness, Faith and Fur Babies is the name of Steph's book. Uh, The first book she wrote was called Surviving Singledom for single Christians and those who love or support single people. So there's two books you can get a hold of on Steph's website. And she's also, of course, got a blog there and no doubt would love to connect with listeners today. If you're thinking, I just need to talk to Steph about some issues, uh, she's available. stephpenny.com.au And it looks like we've lost Steph there. And we'll come back to, uh, I'll talk to Steph in just a few moments. Our time has run out for our conversation. Uh, So we won't get Steph back to be a part of uh, 2020 today. But uh, yes, uh, disappointed and uh, sorry for those who would have liked to have just uh, heard just the tail end of a conversation there with Steph. We did cover lots of great ground. The conversation will be available on a podcast later on this afternoon on the 2020 page at vision.org.au. No, we're not likely to get Steph back, but I'll uh, pass on uh, my thanks to Steph uh, in a conversation when I get a chance to very shortly. Steph Penny dot com dot au to get a hold of Steph's new book Surviving Childlessness Faith and Fur Babies Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media To find out more about us go to vision.org.au 